Hey there, I'm Andrew Ainsworth, a proud supporter of Sword and Laser, thanks to Patreon.com. It's easy to set up, and what do you get out of it? Endless geeky bantering about the latest sci-fi and fantasy books. So if you want to help out, head over to Patreon.com slash Sword and Laser. Give a little, and get a lot of Veronica mispronouncing things. everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I, I'm Tom Merritt. <laughs> Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. Now, Veronica's not drinking anything today, which is fine. It's her choice. She doesn't even have to explain it. But we do usually start the show with what are we drinking? And I am having um, a delicious UCC green tea. Not a sponsor, just my drink. The way you said that, everyone's going to think I'm preggers now. <laughs> really? Yes. I'm not. I have an upper respiratory infection. I'm on antibiotics. I think, I think I know that you have been accused of that for various reasons before. And I do know the trope of, oh, a woman's not having alcohol. She must be pregnant. So mm-hmm. I guess that shouldn't be a surprise. Not in any way my intention uh, I just didn't know if you wanted to go into your upper respiratory infection. Well, I mean, I was talking about how I was sick the last time. I mean, I got sick. <laughs> yeah. The first day I was sick was the was the day oh, of our it's, last episode. It's the same one. It's the Ugh. same thing. It never went. It got worse. That's horrible. And you so, need to move to a drier climate. Apparently, um, yeah, I have a. Uh, it's just like, oh, it's so gross. I'm just sick of it. I'm so sick of it. You know, as we get older, what are we drinking may, I'm just warning the audience right now, it may slide into what are our maladies. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm tempted to bring up my hip, which then makes me feel Your weird. poor hip, it's okay. Let's, let's forget all that and lose ourselves in the quick burns. Yes, and the Hugo Awards have been announced. Uh, Louis posted this up on the uh, Quick Burns thread at Goodreads. Thank you, Louis. Uh, N.K. Jemison takes the top prize for her novel, The Obelisk Gate. Congratulations. Woo, I'm so excited. Uh, the Expanse won Best Dramatic Presentation short form for the season one finale episode, Leviathan Wakes, named after the first mm-hmm. book, mm-hmm. Uh, written by Mark Fergus and Hawk Otsby and directed by Terry McDonough. And um, that's, I mean, we don't really need to talk about fan cast or anything. So that's, it's, you can go hey, read the rest too far. Apparently we were, we, we, we weren't nominated. We wouldn't no, We weren't, we were nominated, but we were not on the ballot. We didn't make it to the ballot, but people actually did vote for us. Yeah. So all seven of you, or I don't remember how it was many more. It was. It was like it was 31. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, everybody who did vote for us, thank you so much. Yeah. And Vaginal Fantasy too, also not on the ballot, but nominated. I mean, wait, how does that work? It was nominated, nominated but, but not on the final ballot. We have more N.K. Jemison news. This came to from her, actually, via Twitter that I saw earlier today. Um. The fifth season book is going to be developed as a TV series at TNT. This was just Man. announced on Deadline at Deadline.com today. It's so good to be a, a talented author these days, especially in genre fiction. Crushing uh, it. Crushing especially, it. Especially if you're writing literary level genre fiction like N.K. Jemison does, mm-hmm. uh, because studios are hungry for that good material. Yeah, gobbling it up. Um, I just wanted to note also... 
that she she was quite tickled by the album art we made of her uh, for her recent interview on Sword and Laser. She was excited that we put her on on a beach because she was on vacation. By the way, folks, if you don't know this already, all of our album art is done by Veronica. Uh, like within minutes of us finishing the show, you're, you're like a genius with that. Well, I have a little more wiggle room now that Jim does all the editing of the episodes. So I, I feel a little more that, free though, to be creative. You've, you've always been good at it. I, <laughs> I, I could never do that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for the kudos. You're welcome. You deserve them. Uh, Hey, you know who else deserves kudos is Jen, uh, who posted up that the dragon awards ballot is out. Uh, these are awarded at Dragon Con, and Best Science Fiction Novel nominees include Becky Chambers, A Closed in Common Orbit, Babylon's Ashes by James S.A. Corey, Death's End by Cixin Liu, Escaping Infinity by Richard Paolinelli, Rise by Brian Guthrie, <clears throat> just a, you know, a little sword and laser connection there, uh, Space Tripping by Patrick Edwards, The Collapsing Empire by John Scalzi, and The Secret Kings by Brian Niemeyer. Awesome. Very cool. Dragon Con is coming up. Labor Day weekend. I was leaving the uh, fantasy nominations for you. Oh, I didn't click on the link. Okay, I'll do that. Now I have to wait for my internet to load it, which apparently takes a long time. So I'm just going to talk. Oh, here I go. Okay. uh, Oh, great. Thanks. Thanks for leaving me the best fantasy novels. A Sea of Skulls by Vox Day. Beastmaster by Shane Silvers. Blood of the Earth by Faith Hunter. Dangerous Ways by R.R. Verdi, Monster Hunter Memoirs Grunge by Larry Correa and John Ringo, The Heartstone Thief by Pippa DaCosta, and Wings of Justice by Michael Scott Earl. Uh, But you can go vote, uh, awards.dragoncon.org. And uh, I don't know, there might be a quote on the cover of Rise by Brian Guthrie. (laughs) You're really really pushing that one. (laughs) I'm just saying, it's a really good book. You should check it out. Uh, Speaking of good TV news, Robert says that Octavia Butler's Dawn is being adapted as a television series. Attached to co-produce is Ava Ava DuVernay, uh, the director of Selma, 13th, and the upcoming A Wrinkle in Time, which looks amazing. Uh, Hopefully the adaptation is for the whole of the Lilith's Brood trilogy. I do not know how they are going to adapt this. No. And I have to say this. I did not think you could make as good of a movie about Selma as Ava DuVernay made. Uh, I mean, I'm sure, I I know it's dramatic, right? But every time I see historical recreations, there's always something lacking. She nailed it. Mm -hmm. A Wrinkle in Time, like you say, we've only seen the trailer. That is an incredibly complex novel to try to make a movie out of. It looks like she may have nailed it again. So if there's anybody that could take this on, I feel like they got the right person for the job. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to see. It's going to be there's there's uh some some alien sex. There's alien sex. There's alien sex. Oh, there's you're a lot more of worried it. about that than the complexity of the story. Yes, I'm I'm in my brain I'm going right to some weird alien sex. Yeah. I mean I, that is not a small consideration. No. Not not going to argue with you there. I mean, you're um, talking to the co-host of Vaginal Fantasy oh, like sure. my brain goes immediately to alien sex. Well, there's so. not only alien sex, but there's also like nonverbal communication mm-hmm. involved, which is very difficult to depict in a movie, as Indeed. we saw with Arrival, which they also did very well. That's true. You're right. Okay. I have hope. Fingers crossed. Hope. 
Uh, Lauren posted up the China Mieville's The City in the City is being adapted for BBC Two as a four-part drama series starring David Morrissey. You may know David Morrissey from The Walking Dead. Uh, as Borlu and Mandeep Dillon as Corwi. Uh, Lauren says, I'm really interested to see how they show the borders of the city and the consequent unseeing on screen. Here's another television challenge for you. <laughs> I know. I've actually been thinking for years how I, I like I I kind of fantasize about that that world or those worlds on world on world situation. And like, have you read The City in the City? I have not read The City in the City. I've read okay. Rail Sea, but I haven't read The City in the City. I, okay. I know the I know the general gist of it though. It's really great. Um I really liked that book a lot. And so I think about it a lot because it's such an interesting premise. Um, so I, I don't think I'm giving too much away, I hope, when I say that in the story, there's two there's two, two cities and they overlap. And it's not like, it's, it's almost like one of the cities, depending on which one you're in at that moment, and there are doorways between the two, um, one is more vibrant and one is kind of like a like a shadow or like a ghosting of the other city, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. And so you have to willfully like unsee the other city in your day to day life like you have to. It's happening around you, but it's it's almost considered like poor manners to acknowledge it. It's, ah. so, and, and it's so it's like fog where yeah. you like you're like you don't see fog anymore after you've been out in a, in a while. Well, it's almost like you know like a, like a like a the ghosting like if you look or at rain. something bright like you see it like overlaid in your eyes. Sure, sure. But I just mean or the like, idea that something that's in your vision that you get used to, you can just kind of ignore. Right, right. Like rain, for instance. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Like and so it's I I I always I have a way of picturing it in my mind, and so I'm really curious to see how the creators of, yeah. of this miniseries translate that. What you're really saying is they need a big effects budget at BBC Two. Maybe I, I mean maybe not. Maybe there's a creative way of doing it that's not super labor intensive. I don't. <laughs> you just know. take that fader and you just leave it right halfway in between during like the whole. Like maybe edit. yeah, maybe you sync two different shots. And one is just actually that could work. Yeah. That could, if if your 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 lighting guy has the challenge there, and yeah. and your and your director in syncing up things, but yeah, yeah. and yeah, yeah, you would have to get the timing perfectly mm -hmm. for for mm -hmm. certain stuff. But like effects wise, like you could do something with the saturation or maybe like yeah. the overlay. Well, and now that I'm thinking about it, like my little joke about the fader being halfway through. Yeah. I mean, you kind of work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, digital digital video editing is an amazing thing, so I'm yeah. I'm excited about it. Um, the next one we've got from Robert says David Tennant and Michael Sheen have been cast in the adaptation of Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett's Good Omens, a six part series produced by BBC and Amazon. Holy crap, Tom! There is so much cool stuff coming for television. I feel like that is all we talk about now. I know the the uh, ad adaptation is hot right now. Uh, I'm trying to find out because I think I have this right, but I want to make sure that I say it right. Uh, Sheen. Sheen is the guy who kind of looks like Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> he played uh, <laughs> he played the prime minister, uh, Tony Blair. Right. Uh, and the queen. Uh, anyway, uh, Sheen is reportedly playing the role of Azarafel, the angel, and Tennant is playing Crowley, the demon. I like it. I, oh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. Gonna I like so both good. these actors a lot. 
Uh, and I love the book, which we read so mm-hmm. many years ago. Uh, ah, man, yeah, uh, this one's going to be good. And it's side note, I mean, this is more for cord killers than sword and laser, but BBC and Amazon co-producing this means that it will premiere on Amazon and then show on BBC later in any market that Amazon operates in, but the BBC gets the right to show it in any markets that Amazon does not operate in. Oh, did you just know that because you're so smart about this stuff or did you read that in this article? I read that in this article and then wrote it up already for next week's Court Killers. <laughs> nice. All right. I like a little cross cross content there. It's important. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a natural. It's a natural. And then Shad uh, posted up on Goodreads. Tor.com will be putting the first 32 chapters of Oathbringer online from Brandon Sanderson, starting with the prologue to Weep on August 22nd and the first three chapters on August 29th. Very cool. Very cool. Good stuff from Brandon Sanderson. Um, all right. Now it is time. Sorry, that was very... I. I I lost my train of thought there for a second. I apologize. Uh, it's, you know, my brain is on all sorts of cough medicine right now. That's why I'm a little it's off tonight. only the apology that called attention to it. I know. I you always say that. Noticed. But I feel like they deserve to know. Okay. That's I feel fair. like they have no, a right fair. to know. It comes from a good place. It comes from a place of caring. It does. And also it comes from a place of cough syrup. <laughs> and that is a very strange place sometimes. <laughs> All right. Now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. This is maybe the last, last final word. The final word. This is it. Is the it? The final word. Is it the final word on Butterscotch? Question mark. <laughs> is it? Is it? The final th- word? Word? Dear Tom and Veronica, I know you said you were done talking about Butterscotch, but I have to send this in because I keep yelling at my speakers. Butterscotch does not contain scotch. Oh, no, that's not how she said it. She's yelling at her speakers. Butterscotch does not contain (laughs) scotch. I think that's more like it, yeah. There are a few theories about the origin of the word, but two more common ones are that it comes from score to break the candy into pieces after it's done, or scorch as the sugar has to be cooked. Recipes depend on whether you're making candies or sauce, but common ingredients are brown sugar, heavy cream, butter, and salt, and vanilla for flavor. Hmm. Here's a good article on the etymology and the difference between butterscotch and caramel. And here's the recipe for butterscotch sauce that I use, which is fantastic and unbelievably easy, and it will impress anyone you feed it to. Also, a few recommendations for local beers while you're in Canada. I'm no longer in Canada, but I feel like this is still relevant for many of our Canadian listeners or people who will soon be visiting Canada or can import beer from Canada. She says, we have tons of, I said that, she goes on to say, we have tons of smaller breweries around. Most of these are fairly easy to find in stores and some will be on tap in some places. Parallel 49 makes a nice grapefruit rattler called Tricycle and they have a fab dark beer called Salty Scott, but it can be hard to find this time of year. Bridges Lemon Gin Saison is a super refreshing one. Hoys, Hoines, 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 H-O-Y-N-E's. Dark Matter is a really nice dark beer. Dead Frog's Nut Brown is yummy and a little lighter than the Dark Matter. Aaron. I should add, this is not saying that putting scotch in butterscotch would be wrong, but I'm sure it would be delicious. Just that's not a required ingredient. Um, I'm looking over this recipe, and it is dead simple. You melt some butter, add sugar, cream, and salt, and whisk it until well-blended, Bring it to a gentle boil for about five minutes. 
And you got butterscotch. You got butterscotch. Although, I will point out, because you will have to use a whisk to make this, the butterscotch is whiskey. <gasps> uh... <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> That's the cough syrup laughing. <coughs> Oh, laughing's a trigger. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, that was funny. I think. I think. I think. The final word. The final is it? Is it? Okay. We also have a thread from Joseph who says misty watercolored memories. He goes on. My visiting while visiting my hometown this weekend, I popped into the public library. Um, this isn't the building I used to go to when I was growing up. They tore that one down and built a very nice new library, maybe 15 years ago. Went poking through the shelves and was pleasantly surprised to discover at least two books, the actual same physical copies that I was checking out back in the 70s and 80s. I still miss that old library building, though. Anyone else have childhood library nostalgia? I do. I actually really, really do. Uh, this immediately made me remember that I own the copy from my library of the animated Thumbtack Railroad Dollhouse and All-Around Surprise book by Lewis Phillips, put together by Lynn Braswell, Evening Edition, which I constantly checked out. Mm -hmm. And then somehow, one day, there was a library book sale. And I think because I and many others had checked it out so much and it was getting worn, it was for sale. They were getting rid of it. They were pulling it out of the collection and my mom bought it for me. So Aww. I actually still Aww. have it. That's so cute. I, um, my favorite memories. I used to live at my library. I used to one because they had a computer that had video games on it and I didn't have a computer. So I would go to the library and play video games on their computer. Two, oh, you're so much younger than me. It was air conditioned <laughs> and I used to go there in the summer and I read like three or four grades above my reading level list level, my summer reading list level. Mm -hmm. And so I would just like check out all the books and just sit there in the air conditioning and read. Three, the adult section, the grown-up section of the library, mm -hmm. not that not kind the of adult, adult section. section. Just the section that wasn't kids' books. Yeah. Right. Had um, a pretty good sci-fi fantasy section. And I used to borrow... I used to borrow the, they had all the Star Trek Generations books. And so I used to read all of those. But um, then I used to buy them and then I would donate them to the library because I would buy the new ones. That was fun. I used to, um, I used to check out tons of books. I, I would do the summer reading program all the mm -hmm. time and, and like try to win, try to read the most books. I would constantly check out the biography of Tom Seaver when I was like six years old, the New York Mets pitcher. I was like, and, what? <laughs> and, uh, and I also would go read Entrepreneur Magazine when I was like 13. That was, that was around back then? Oh, yeah. This is the 80s, right? Wow. Yeah. So you got lots of people with very blow-dried hair on the cover of those magazines. If it, uh, on Entrepreneur, no it wasn't be like cocaine. Get things <laughs> yes. done. Wink, wink. Productivity. New <laughs> productivity, productivity drug. Wink, wink. Uh, yeah, pretty much. No, I, I don't remember seeing that at all, actually. But um, but yeah, we didn't have computers at my library because computers weren't a thing mm, yet. Mm -hmm. 
I had a so scooter old. at home, mm-hmm. and I think they actually ended up getting some TRS-80s at one point. But I also have really good memories of going into the uh, the locked room that you had to get permission from the librarian to go into, where they kept all the back uh, issue back volumes of the high school yearbook. Hmm. And I would just go back and read like the yearbooks from the twenties and the thirties and just look. That's cool. I didn't even know anybody in them. Every once in a while I might find somebody I knew, but I would just look at how things were different back then. That's awesome. Yeah, That's pretty fun. neat. Um, huh? Yeah, I miss, I, I do not, I am very sad to say I, I have not been to the public library here in San Francisco and I hear it's pretty amazing. I actually made sure recently because I'd been here too long without going to go to the library, which is very close to my house. It's great. Mm-hmm. They've got all kinds of computers, great collection, uh, good staff, helpful. Nice. Go to your library, people. Go to your libraries. They're good places. All right, well, let's chat about the Gunslinger a bit. This is a mid-month uh, check-in, so we're not going to go. Do you say go... so? What? What? Do, do you say so? I say so. I say so. Then let it be so. <sighs> is that a Gunslinger joke? Well, you're reading the book. I know. I finished the book a long time ago. And in fact, I read it so you long, You mean like so several fast, years so ago, or ago. did you reread it? No, I read it, it like before. Like the, I was finished in the first week of the month. And so when I realized we were still talking about this book, I was like, oh my God, I'm still talking about this? Wow, I um, haven't finished it yet. Really? I've been enjoying the reread. You know, the one thing I will say, I know we're, we're going to have a more orderly look at mm-hmm. this, and this is non-spoilery, but there are much more elements of it that are incorporated in books like Wizards and Glass and Wolves of the Kala than I remembered. Mm, I forgot mm-hmm. some of the stuff I th- I remember as being in those other books. And I'm like, oh, wait, that was in The Gunslinger? Hmm. Like, there's more that points towards the later story than I had re- than I had recalled. Neat. That's cool. Well, do you think it was because he went back and corrected it? No, I don't. I think a lot of that was in there and he just built the later stories on top of it. Um mm-hmm. And I, I think he had in mind a few of the things that were pointed that direction. We are going to get minorly spoilery latery, and latery, and I'll talk a little bit more about that then. Our first thread comes from Sean, who says, Rereading the book, one thing that strikes me is how convoluted the structure of this first story is. Admittedly, I never read the revised edition, so maybe King streamlines things here. We start with Roland tramping across a desert. He stops for the night and has a flashback to the last time he encountered another human being. In the flashback, he meets Farmer Brown, and they have dinner together. Afterwards, Roland tells him about the last time he encountered a town. In the flashback within a flashback, Roland arrives in Tull and sleeps with Allie, the barkeeper. After sex, she tells him about that time when the man in black came to town. In the flashback within a flashback within a flashback... The man in black shows up right after a guy dropped dead and performs a parody of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus. It's a pretty convoluted way to structure a short story. When I read the book back in sixth grade, I got all the way to the end of the story before I realized everything with Farmer Brown was, in fact, a flashback. And ultimately, is it necessary? Yes, King wanted to start the story with that epic description of the desert and the scenes with Farmer Brown are good, but wouldn't it have made more sense to have Roland flashback straight to Tull without the intermediary step with Brown? I don't know if this actually qualifies, but I look at this as a, as a form of a ring story. Uh, it's a stylistic choice. I mean, yeah, you can say that about any flashback. You don't have to tell the story out, out of linear order, uh, but it has an effect on your perceptions. And a few people touched on this in the thread. 
in this world that's moved on, a lot of emphasis is placed on the fact that time runs differently. And I think by making you go through these flashbacks, it's giving you, the reader, a bit of that displacement mm-hmm. feel. I, and personally, it never bothered me. It's 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 never been a thing where it confused me uh, or or anything. Um, uh, you know, and that doesn't mean it, it won't bother other people like Sean. At which point, if it does get in your way as a reader, then yeah, that's that's an issue. Uh, but I don't think it's wrong on the face of it. Yeah, there's a lot of good conversations here about um, like, is the farmer a flashback? Like Matthew felt that it was a present, and then we go back to him and Roland, then continues his journey onto his next quote, destination in the desert. Um, Yeah, you know, it's so funny because I totally forgot about the scene with the farmer because we so get into the story of him and, you know. And that's that's a point in Sean's favor, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, It it felt like by the time I'd gotten past that, it felt like a totally different story almost. So I don't know. I don't know. That's an interesting point. Interesting points all around for that. I, I, yeah. I, I'm not sure. Um, but I think it, it does make sense in terms, especially of what King is doing with the gunslinger and with the story and with the idea behind the tower. So it fits in with that a little bit with the idea of this, you know, time displacement or yeah. time not really having any kind of meaning uh, or having a lot of meaning, just not necessarily linear meaning. The I'll be honest that the the later flashbacks always bothered me more. The when we go back to him being well, when, I, I guess okay, I should I, I should try yeah. to stay non spoilery, but but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. The those seem this one is re- close enough to the these flashbacks are close enough to the actual timeline that they feel sensible. Uh, longer flashbacks, you know, to to farther back in time. Tend Wouldn't to it be the more. opposite? See, see, flashbacks make more sense when they're flashing back a lot further. This no, is more I, like I, if you do okay, but it's hard to explain what I mean without getting <laughs> know, spoilery. Right. But when you when you flash back, like, hey, ten minutes ago, now two days before that, like that that all is logical. You're like, oh, I was here, now I'm here, now I'm here, and then you go back through the timeline. You're like, oh, okay, I I know where I'm going. If you w- flashback and say oh he's remembering his past uh mm-hmm. and then that past then informs directly the scene next to it and that's it that's one thing but what goes on here is he's it's sort of he's remembering his past but it, then it's it's long own story and then it jumps back to the present then it goes back to the past again and continues that long like suddenly you've got two timelines and i found found that more jarring maybe there's just too many flashbacks i actually don't think so like when I say I found it more jarring, it's just in comparison. I, I didn't really, none of it really bothered me at all, though. Did it bother you? Not at the time. I think I, I do think I was more jarred by the long distance flashbacks, maybe as well. Now that I think about it, mm. the dis- long distance in time, you mean? Or the, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, I because you start a whole new a separate, story. Yeah, I felt like those were almost like a separate book, and that's why I. I remembered them as being part of future books that are set oh. in that time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Next up, we have a post from Rob Secundus, not Roberator, uh, who says, the idea of Western fantasies has always appealed to me, but I rarely ever actually encountered it in the wild. Whenever SSF crosses over with Western, it seems to lean real hard on the SF end of the spectrum, from that terrible Will Smith movie to Firefly to Cowboy Bebop, Cowboys and Aliens, etc., etc. Our cowboys always seem to get laser guns, not magic bullets. 
Does anyone have recommendations for good Westerns that dip into fantasy? The only ones I've ever really encountered are comics, East of West, Seven to Eternity, and Jonah Hex, and only the former two are any good. My mind went exactly where Jeff's went, Red Country by Joe Abercrombie, a fantastic book. Uh, Really reminds me of The Gunslinger in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, now that I think about it, yes. I mean, that was not a comparison I would have been able to make before this month. Um, But I think, you know, the the viscerality of it uh, definitely fits in. With that, uh, but red, I just loved Red Country so much. There's a lot of good yeah. suggestions here. And it's not the same kind of story. It doesn't even have the same kind of characters, but there's just an atmosphere that feels similar. Yeah, let's see. We have um, Sue or So, sorry, I apologize. I uh, just came across this one. Those Poor, Poor Bastards. Zombies in the Wild Wild West looks interesting. Uh, the show Wild Wild West was great to watch as a kid. Of course, when I tried to watch the same shows later, it was hard. Uh, Silver on the Road, uh, Milani mentions, which we read for Vaginal Fantasy, and I actually quite enjoyed. Um, that was a pretty good one. We actually had a thread on the Vaginal Fantasies forums about this very subject, now that I think about it. Um, she also mentions uh, Shaman's Crossing, uh, which was part of the Soldier Sun trilogy by Robin Hobb. My least favorite trilogy of Robin Hobbs, uh, probably one of my, I wasn't a huge fan of that, but it does fit in with this particular kind of uh, genre idea. Um, And then Ursula Vernon has a couple of short stories set in a weird Western world. They're both collected in Jackalope Wives and other stories, and Milani says she loves them dearly. Well, then we move on to Christos Post. What's your favorite Dark Tower connection to other Stephen King novels? And there are minor spoilers here. Because we're going to mention those connections, which then tells you like, oh, there's a connection, which is a spoiler in and of itself. So be forewarned. Uh, But Christos says there are too many connections to list. So let's just say what our favorites are. My favorite connection is that one of the main characters of the series, Jake Chambers, is Danny Torrance from The Shining, but from another dimension. Minor spoiler alert ahead. They both have The Shining, but in The Dark Tower, they call it the touch. Mm, and that seems to come back in a few other books as well. Um, I haven't read most of these, so I, I wouldn't be able to to know what is a spoiler and what's not. Um, but apparently, uh, Sean also says uh, that any what character with the initials RF is almost certainly Randall Flagg, who is, you know, in the stand, Randall Flagg, and the dark man here as well. So that's, that's obviously a very, very telling and interesting one. Yeah. Uh, there's also, um, Salem's lot crosses over with wolves of the Kala, uh, a a later book, uh, directly with one of the characters kind of jumping over to it. And the talisman, uh, Stephen King and Peter Straub is one of my favorites. Uh, there's, there's a, there's, I won't say what the connection is, but, I love that story, and its connection with the Dark Tower is one of my favorites. <laughs> that was very ambiguous, but I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that just about wraps it up for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Sorry for my sicky coughs. Um, not sure Stop yet. Stop apologizing. You're I just, fine. I just You're feel fine. Bad. I feel bad. I want to be my best for them. I, I just know, be my but best. You, they think you're your best. Until you say something and then you cause them to doubt. They're like, oh, maybe she wasn't. How will we ever get nominated for Hugo if I don't? If you don't stop apologizing. If I don't stop apologizing. (laughs) I agree. Oh, okay. I see what you did there. You tricked me. 
You tricked me. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, our show is entirely funded by our patrons. If you want to learn more, head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Welcome to Susanna, James Freeman, Jessica Alter, Stephen Crawford, and everybody who supports us at patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. You can find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. And make sure you stay tuned after the show for fabulous Tanya's rendition of Smooth Robberator. It's going to be good. See you next time. Bye. to us.